Welcome to the Life Exchange Podcast, where we give you practical solutions for self, community, and culture. We believe what the Bible says about God, that every good and perfect gift comes from Him. But does He only give gifts when we have earned them, when He's feeling generous, when we're perfect? And does He take them away from us to teach us a lesson? Today we're talking about God's abundant nature, what it says about Him and what it means for us and how we relate to Him. The way we see God has a profound effect on our worldview, so this is a topic we're very excited to talk through. Let's get this thing started. Hi, I'm Melody Hilton. And I'm Joel Hilton. And I'm Katie Stansfield. And we would like to thank you for listening. Uh, And I just want to say we would love to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or questions or um, anything that has resonated with you through any of these episodes, uh, please reach out to us. You can email us at lifeexchangepodcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a direct message on our Instagram or Facebook. And that would just be uh, Giving Light on Instagram, Giving Light IG, and Facebook, it's Giving Light Church. I was also thinking it might be fun if if you guys send in your questions that we could just have an episode where it's just maybe five random yeah. questions. So yeah, that would be fun. If there's something that you would like to hear our perspective on, send it in, and uh, maybe we'll try to have a we'll pick the ones a more like. spontaneous <laughs> yeah. podcast or episode. Yeah. Yeah. So in order for us to do that, we need your help. So uh, send those things in. Again, you can email us at lifeexchangepodcast at gmail.com. All right. Are we ready to get into today's topic? Yes. Okay. Today's topic is discovering God's abundant nature. Um, So here we are speaking about God's nature, which I think we'll do in fear and trembling. (laughs) Uh, We'll do our best. But uh, first off, let's just ask the question, why is it important to know and experience the true nature of God? Well, I believe, I believe, Uh (laughs) our belief about his nature will affect how we view the world, Mm -hmm. how we interact with those around us, how we perceive ourselves, how we approach God himself. And all this is a reflection of how we view him. I think of that example where uh, Jesus gave the parable of he gave the talents out. Mm -hmm. And then one was like, you're uh, you're a hard taskmaster, and I was afraid, so I buried it. Yeah. And so, how he viewed the master affected how he used the gifts that God gave him. So, this is why God desires us to have a personal relationship with Him. Mm-hmm. So, it's not just getting a bunch of information about Him, knowing His nature, but God actually invites us into a personal relationship so that we can truly experience him for ourselves. Not just hear stories about him, not just read stories about him, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, engaging with him, hearing his voice, fellowshipping with him so that we can know his true nature. Actually, there's a funny uh, uh, story that was in my <laughs> in my life when I was in third grade. There was this teacher that mm-hmm. Uh, she was known to be the teacher that you did not want to get because she was very intense. And uh, I don't know how it's done now, but uh, the newspaper would come out and you would look and see what teacher you had. So I would scroll down and I was third grade and I was 
I guess I could say her name. It was Miss Amato. <laughs> and I was like, am I in Miss Amato's class? <gasps> and I was, and I was like so fearful. I remember the first day of school walking in the, uh, that Jaws like theme song was like <laughs> running through my mind. And the crazy thing about it is I heard stories. I heard um, people's perspectives on this teacher. And that was the best year I had mm -hmm. in elementary. Yeah. And wow. I actually grew so much. Yes, she was intense. Yeah. Yes, she had her unique unique way of doing things. But it was it was a great experience for me. And so going back to knowing the nature of God, sometimes we hear things about yeah. God mm -hmm. and we just accept them. But we are invited into a relationship with him mm -hmm. so that we can know and experience him for ourselves. Yeah. It makes me think of the, the scripture in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yes. That's that invitation. Come and experience that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. It's not, oh, hear how good the Lord is. Mm -hmm. It's not... Uh, it's not sit through a message where the pastor tells you how good the Lord is. It's not just being in a worship service where the worship leader says, oh, the Lord is good. It's actually come experience it for yourself. Come experience and taste yeah. the goodness of God. And when I think about taste, I, I think it's one of the most personal sensory experiences that we have. Mm -hmm. Think about it. You're, you're ingesting something into you Right, And so there's two stages of this experience. The first one is obviously the taste. Oh, this is good. I, I think of my grandma, and it always annoyed me. It was like I was done with the meal, but she would scrape the plate. <laughs> <laughs> Here, taste this. Oh, finish this, right? <laughs> or you're at a, a Thanksgiving thing, and they're like, oh, I don't want to try it. No, you must taste this. This is what, this is the license. This comes with the territory of grandma's exactly. house. So... The first step is tasting it, actually having, uh, experiencing it through flavor. But then the other thing is the nutritional aspect of it. Mm. So when it says taste and see that the Lord is good, it's just, it's experiencing it through tasting. But it's also once we taste, we actually get the nutrition that comes with experiencing God. Yeah. And so that's why it's so important to know the true nature of God, because everything we do, how we view the world, how we interact with those around us, how we perceive ourselves, and even how we interact with God comes from how we see him. And first, you have you know through the word, but then it's also through that experiential uh, invitation to intimacy that he gives us. Uh, I love that you talked about experience because I think that is an absolute uh, uh, important key that we have to recognize because if we're walking with God just from knowledge, uh, things we've gained from others, but we haven't experienced him ourselves, then I think at the very best we have religion or we yeah. have a lot of rules and regulations and, you know, or I believe what you, like you said, I believe what the pastor says, so therefore I will do, but there is such a big difference when you have an encounter, when you experience God. Uh, I, I know there was times in my life where I just felt the Father's heartbeat so strong, I couldn't do anything but weep. And it wasn't just what he spoke to me, but so much more what I felt from him. Because every encounter that we have literally carries with it uh, the supernatural grace of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation in our life. I'll 
be changed in the presence of God. I will be transformed through an experiential reality. Truth makes me free because it begins to work on my thinking, right? Mm-hmm. So my my paradigm is begin to change, which really gives an invitation for that experience. But for me personally, every major decision I've made in my life, it's because I had an encounter with the Lord, or I heard his voice so clearly, or there was such an experiential reality that it shifted the course of my life. So there was a grace to do what he called me to do. And so I don't know about you guys, but I just don't want to go through religious motions. Mm-hmm. I, I want to function uh, in everything that God's called me to do out of uh, knowing that I've had an encounter, a relationship with God, and that I'm following his directives, not just some religious form. You know, faith has to go beyond just a mental agreement. Yes. Like knowing the facts or knowing uh, the history of something. And I think those things are important, but I think faith is really rooted within us when we can experience it, when we can walk it out. It's not just a head knowledge, but it is uh, taking that truth and actually having it be expressed in an in an outward fashion. Uh, when you experience something, I think it becomes more part of who you are than just having an opinion of something. Yeah. Yeah, and having that continual relationship uh, is really important. Um, you know, I think about, you know, if, if there's someone I'm very, very close to, I know them very well, I know their heart, I know their their intentions, and someone comes to me and they tell me, um, oh, this person's been talking around, behind your back. They've yeah. been like, they start speaking all these negative things. I'm going to question that because I know the person. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, but that still plants a seed. When they're saying that, they're still planting a seed mm-hmm. that I have the choice to either start to ruminate on that seed and then my heart actually turns away from that person or I have the choice to actually go to that person and say, this is what was said about you. I know you. Is this true? Can you, you know, tell me where where you're coming from here? And we look at the garden and it's exactly what the serpent did. Mm-hmm. The first thing that he did was st- to start to get them to question God's intentions. Um, they they start, you know, and Adam and Eve knew God. They walked mm-hmm. with him in the garden. It wasn't like they had no relationship with him. They did. Mm-hmm. And so then the serpent comes in. The serpent says, um, you know, you know, can can you not eat of this tree? Uh, and and or can you not eat of any tree? She says, no, we can't. We can eat of all the trees except for this one. Um, but, and if we eat it, we'll surely die. You won't surely die. Yeah. So the enemy comes in, starts to plant those seeds against God's character, against his nature. You know, and I just wonder, you know, God was present. I believe he was present in the garden. If if they would have said, God, can you remind me of what you said? Remind me of who you are. But instead, um, they kind of allowed that seed of... Um, of who God was to then stir and they followed the seed rather than running back to the relationship. So um, well, that really <clears throat> proves that point of when their view of God's nature changed, yes. then it propelled them to sin. Yeah. Yeah. And God uh, and the enemy um, said that God's intention is that he's withholding from you. He yeah. doesn't want you to be wise. They were already wise. So he got them to question God's nature, um, mm. saying that he was withholding when really he had already given them everything in him. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, when, when I think about, when I was talking about those encounters, those encounters were revealing to me the heart of God. Yeah. And when I knew his heart, it was easy to uh, divide the lie from the truth. Mm-hmm. And I recognized the lies that I believe. I recognized maybe uh, ways that I had walked and thought and and believed. Well, all those things were just shattered because I had an encounter with his heart and I heard his voice so clearly. And that, you know, it's a relationship. If, you know, I've been married soon, almost 46 years, and uh, I think, my goodness, where we're at today is because we've had 46 years of relationship. Yeah. And uh, I know- And you probably know how he would respond in most situations. That's right. And uh, someone came up to him, like you were talking about, you know, uh, Katie, it was just like, if somebody came up and said, oh, Melody said this, he'd go, no, I know her. She'd (laughs) never say that because he's lived with me for 46 years. He knows I wouldn't say certain things or he goes, yep, that sounds like Melody. And, uh, and that's, that is so beautiful because he didn't even have to run back to me and ask because he knew me so well. He doesn't have to say, did you say that? Because uh, he knows it wouldn't be true. But even after 46 years, there's probably things you're still learning about each other. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, and actually now we know in part and we prophesy in part, yeah. but there will be a day when we will know fully as we are fully known. Yeah. So we're still a, a work in progress. That relationship is growing, but for all eternity, we're gonna. There's going to be a time when we are we fully know yeah. as we are fully known, but we're not there yet. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the first thing that w- we want you to get out is to accept that invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good, mm-hmm. because knowing the true nature of God, it affects everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, it affects how you perceive the world around you, those around you, yourself, and even how you interact with God. So obviously today we're only talking about one aspect of God's nature and the the part that, uh, or the aspect or the characteristics of God's nature that we're going to focus on today is God's good, abundant nature. Mm-hmm. And so I would say maybe the theme verse of this would be James 1.17. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift, perfect meaning wanting nothing necessary to completeness. So every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So James clearly states that if it's good and if it's perfect, it comes from above. Mm -hmm. Remember what I said in the beginning, we need to know God's true nature. So Mm -hmm. in James, it clearly states that if it's good, and perfect, meaning wanting nothing necessary to completeness, it's from above. So God's nature is being revealed. So to me, that means it's signed. Have you ever <laughs> received a package and it's been signed so you know where it's come from? Mm-hmm. So when when James says, if it's good and if, if, if it's perfect, it's saying God's name, his nature is signed on the package that you're receiving. And actually Jesus uh, confronts this, this this thinking as well in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? So we're talking about someone's nature here, right? Yeah. Of course not. 
If you sinful people, imperfect people, some versions will even say evil. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, speaking of the nature of God, knowing his true nature, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts? There it is again. Yeah. Good gifts to those who ask him. How much more? And then let's go back to James. James continues with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So he's saying, Mm -hmm. if you get a package and it's good and it's perfect, it's saying it's from the father above, but then it says with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, meaning it's sealed, meaning he's consistent. He doesn't have good days and he doesn't have bad days. He does not change. He is consistent. So this is so important because it gives us a confident hope and an assured expectation that God is good. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, it says every good and perfect gift comes from the father. I was just thinking, you know, not always does a good and perfect gift look like a good and perfect gift to us in our limited understanding. I'm thinking about like when you're a kid and for Christmas, if you got, um, like, you know, underwear or a toothbrush for Christmas, you're, that's not what you're most excited about. The older you get, the more mature you get, you actually enjoy getting those things. But the bottom line is when we're, um, it's not, I don't even think it's just a matter of maturity, but sometimes God will give this a gift that's good for us, even though it's not the gift we were necessarily circling on the Toys R Us catalog. Or uh, not though it's it doesn't come in the package that we thought it was going to come in. It doesn't look as shiny and sparkly as we thought it was going to. But the the point here is that his intentions tell us that that gift is good for us, even if it doesn't look the way we kind of imagined it would look. Yeah, and we'll get into this later. But in John ten ten, it says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, speaking of Jesus, have come to give life and life more abundantly. And I think it's important to—I agree with you totally. Some things that we receive from God, we don't understand or we don't know how to put it in proper context. But if something is in our life that is destroying, uh, um, stealing, uh, killing— the opposite of life, yeah. it doesn't come from him. And let's go back to James. This is in verse 16. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived about what? Mm-hmm. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Yeah. Yep. So he's challenging this thought of like, God disciplines us yeah. and he does discipline us, but it's not to steal, to kill, or destroy. Yeah. But it's there to bring life. Yeah, I think that the difference is if you get a toothbrush, it's a lot different than if you get poison or or if if there's a punishment. And sometimes we do that for some reason. We have this thinking that God is teaching us through um, a negative thing when he's not. It might Mm -hmm. not be fun to us or look exactly the way we thought, but it will always be a good gift. It's not, uh, you know, he's not giving you a dirty toothbrush and saying, well, you have to use this to teach you a lesson because, you know, I don't like the way you've been talking. Mm -hmm. That's not the nature of our God. It's very different from getting a a good gift we might not see as, you know, beautiful at first. Yeah, and I think a lot of times uh, Christians have this uh, broken washing machine mentality (laughs) where you do something and you're like, well, something's going to happen, you know, this terrible thing, something's going to be broken, something 
I, I don't believe God teaches us through death and destruction and stealing and killing. Well, and Definitely you have a reason not. to not believe that because he tells us that he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's really important to recognize that God really is an abundant God. He's an extravagant God. He always uh, does exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask, think, dream, or imagine. And a lot of times, as you were talking about, Katie, we don't always... Uh, even know what abundance look like. Yeah. We don't know what extravagance looks like. We don't know our future and he's already been there. Mm-hmm. And so when he looks at us and he moves in our life and and he speaks to us and we really need to recognize that he is an abundant God, that everything he does is for our good. And so when he is actually moving in our lives, he's trying to take us from the place that we are at into a place that he knows that we can go to, where where we're at as a person and what we can become because he's the one who created us. He's the one who holds our future in our hand and he gives us what? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. He's gonna orchestrate our lives in such a way for us to walk in the fullness of what he has uh, preordained for our life. And so I think when, when you're talking about uh, the more we know his nature, then we can trust everything that he is doing in our life, recognizing that he causes everything, even the things that the enemy tries to bring in, mm-hmm. he'll turn mm-hmm. it around for good. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's not moved. Even the stupid things we've done, uh, he can even turn that around for good. You know, the regrets mm-hmm. we might have had, yeah. well, he'll turn that around for good. And mm-hmm. so I think... It's not because not one of us have had a perfect life, not that we've done the perfect thing, but he is such an extravagant God that he will move so powerfully in our lives to say, I am going to empower you and I'm going to use those things to take you to the place where I want you to be. I didn't cause them. I didn't ordain them. I didn't plan them. It was your choice or it was somebody else's choice. It wasn't mine, but... Mm -hmm. and. When we recognize that, we will not give power to the works of darkness, power to the rejections or the betrayals or the difficult things or the battles or the struggles. Or We, we won't give power to that because we recognize when I put that in uh, our Father's hand, He is so good, He's so abundant, He's so extravagant that He's going to give us double. He's yeah. going to increase it. He's going to multiply us. And um, and if we really trust him, uh, it's so easy to run to somebody that we know who is out for our good and will give us beyond anything we could dream or imagine. Yeah, I believe that you're missing an important factor. What's that? That factor is if you believe God does these things, yeah. you will accept what the enemy's doing. Yeah. If you believe that God brings death and oh. destruction and oh, stealing yeah, and killing, yeah. you will just why would you resist it if yeah. God is doing it? So that's why we began this podcast by saying we need to know his abundant nature. Yes. We need to know his true nature because if you don't, you will just accept things as God's will when it's actually a tactic of the enemy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I recently um, listened through the whole Bible, and as you're doing that, as you're reading the Word, you'll see, you know, especially in the Old Testament, you see God doing things, and it can be really, really easy to take what that thing looks like and to 
create who God is, create his nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm reading through it and I'm thinking, God, this, some of this is really tough. Like, I, and you can create a doctrine about, you know, from that or create God's character from that. Um, but one thing that I have learned to do is to always go back to who he says he is. Um, and the, the word of God just over and over, it, it says about the Lord, it says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, rich in mercy, mm-hmm. slow to anger, mm-hmm. quick to forgive and overflowing with steadfast love and faithfulness. Amen. And so if you look at some of the smaller things, I think it's, easy to miss the big things of who he actually is, that he is slow to anger. It can be very easy to look at the Bible, to look at your life and say, well, God is quick to anger. He judges all of these things. But really, if you look at the overarching narrative, he is slow to anger. He is rich in kindness. He is compassionate. He is rich in mercy. He is quick to forgive. Um, And so seeing him in that way helps to shape your perspective of the whole. And sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you're just reading it and you, you're thinking things are happening in a short amount of time. But a lot of times <laughs> yeah. uh, when God actually had the Israelites destroy a certain nation or uh, a people and have them kill everything, their cattle, their their children, everything, that situation could have been God saw what they were doing over 400 yeah. years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when it says God is slow to anger, I would say 400 years is a is a good um, a sample size. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he always warned. He always yeah. sent a prophet. He always sent a voice to speak truth. It's not like he just yeah. acted. And that's why it's important to, to also look at the Bible uh, from a, a, a bird's eye view, mm-hmm. because sometimes when you focus on particular situations, you're not seeing the full context of what the message of the scripture is trying to portray. Yeah. And and I believe the message is that, you know, God desires redemption. God desires yes. um, a reconciliation uh, of his people back to himself. Yes. That, that is the message of scripture. Yeah. I remember based upon how I used to believe about Melody, uh, I was afraid of God's judgment because I didn't know the fullness of his nature. I just saw my fallen nature. and uh, But I have grown to just so trust my father that the fact is, uh, if he judges me, he judges what I'm not so I can discover who I really am. Because I could be living and functioning in ways that are subpar Mm -hmm. of what I can be, what I can become. Um, Maybe there's attitudes or fears or ways in which I'm functioning. And I want God to judge that. I want him to speak into that. I want to be confronted by those things because when he does judge it, then I can can begin to see who I truly am in him. And then that allows me to step into the abundance that he's prepared for me. Because he's gonna he's gonna make sure that uh, before I get there that I can I will stored what he's invested into me well. So I have to become what I need to become so I can stored what he caused me to stored, mm-hmm. and then that positions me for his amazing abundant nature to be manifested in my life. And and but that's knowing his heart. It's going back 
to recognizing I can trust my God. My hope is in my God. I know his character. I know his nature. I know my experiential reality with him. Yeah, yeah I hope I don't gross anybody out with this, <laughs> oh, but my wife likes to watch those like oh, procedure yeah. things. And I was oh. like, I cannot watch this in this room. Like, <laughs> don't even, like, I can't handle it. But it's like the Dr. Pimple Popper or whatever. And then they have yep. one on feet. I was like, don't ever play that <laughs> in my presence kind of thing. But I, I think that goes back to what you were saying about how we can sometimes identify growth with as a part of who we are. Mm-hmm. Technically, it is a part of who you are, but the doctor is one that can remove that yeah. and repair that and bring it back to health, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, sometimes we have things within our life that feels very much like who we are, but it's an abnormality. Amor- is that mm-hmm. how you say it? Uh, an abnormal growth. And so by God's discipline and by God's uh, kindness, he removes those things from my life, even though they might feel a part of us is being removed. It's for our freedom and for our health and for our liberty. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's really good. I was just thinking like one of the first things after Adam and Eve sinned, one of the first things God says was, who told you that? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I just, you know, I, I just think how many times does God look at us and what we're believing about him and go, who told you that? Or what we're believing about ourselves? Who told you that? Who mm-hmm. Who is planting this false narrative in your life or in your mind that's causing you to hide from me, from the one who can fix it? Yeah. Who told you that? Yeah. So uh, it's just a thought I had. <laughs> it, it's true. But I think a lot of that, in a sad way, it comes from maybe religious thinking. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, because I feel like there that there's a lot of attention and value in the church given to our ability to learn from pain, yeah, learn from suffering, learn from lack, learn from difficult situations. Whatever situation that we face really has the power to shape us, knowing that no matter what we're going through, that if we love God and we're called according to his purpose, he will work this out for the good. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are the lessons we want to shape us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Going back to Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things, mm-hmm. not always quote unquote good things, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. So this truth, whatever situation that we face really has the power to shape us, knowing that no matter what we're going through, that if we love God and we're called according to his purpose, he will work this out for the good. What are the lessons we want to shape us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Will the lesson be in the problem or the solution? Mm -hmm. You know, my kids are in school and they they have math problems. So they advance when they know how to solve the problem, right? So the lesson is in the solution, not in the problem. The lesson, will the lesson be in the lack or in the abundance? Will the lesson be in the pain or the restoration and healing? What do we think the kingdom lesson is in? Is it in the pain or is it in the restoration and healing? And that goes back to that uh, that one of my favorite, you know, I think this is where most of my theology comes <laughs> from, but John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus makes this definitive statement. This is what the fruit looks like from the enemy. Yep. And this is what 
I have come to bring. I have come to bring life and life more abundantly. And like I said earlier, when I was talking about when we receive a package, whose name is on it? Because mm-hmm. if it's good and perfect, it's from above. Yeah. If it's stealing, killing, and destroying, we know whose name is on it. Mm-hmm. And we don't accept it. That doesn't mean that we don't still experience certain things, but we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, what a cruel father to take you into lack in order to bring you out of it or to give you sickness or pain in order to take you out of it. And that scripture going back again in James, it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning um, due to change. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that seem like a duplicitous nature Mm -hmm. for God to put the negative on you Mm -hmm. only to change his mind and give you the positive? That A kingdom divided against itself will not stand, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's like... I mean, I, I don't know where, you know, some of these just doctrines or theologies that we come up with just really pain him to be just this cruel man. pain. Yeah. And, you they, need an explanation. and God moved mm-hmm. and he brought them out of that. So their assumption was it was because of the pain that mm-hmm. I had this amazing revelation. Yeah. But in actuality, the enemy yeah. came to steal, kill and destroy, but my God showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so it's it's different ways of viewing it. Uh, the sad thing is, if I really believe it was God who caused it, you talked about mm. this earlier, Joe. Yeah. If I believe God caused the sickness, then for me to resist the sickness would be resisting the will of God, which doesn't make sense. Yeah. And if we really believe sickness came from God or some malady or something came from God, then to even go to a doctor or find you know, some type of reprieve. You're resisting the will of God. Yeah, and that would be like crazy. No, our God's an abundant God, but I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Katie. No, yeah. I mean, you know, is there sickness in God? Is there suffering? Like, is there And I want to be really clear when we're talking about this. We're not saying that these things do not happen. Sure. Right. They do, and we're going to talk about why they happen or why we believe they happen if God is not the author of them. But they don't happen in heaven. Yeah. yeah. They happen on earth. And we're um, mandated to live an on, um, on earth as it is in heaven life. Yeah. I don't hear it as much anymore. I remember a few years ago, um, I've heard people talk on this or preach on it, but it was like, God will remove his presence from you or he will remove access that you have to him to draw you closer. Make you hungry to... Yeah. The wilderness. And to me, that always felt contradictory. Yeah. uh, Because he's our source. Mm -hmm. He's what we need. And he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. (laughs) Another thing is like, it would be crazy if, if I would get up and preach and say, listen, you guys need more of God, so I want you to pray less. <laughs> I want you not to worship. Do not worship because that invites the presence of God. I want you to not do that because I want you to become more hungry. Like if a pastor said that, that would seem ridiculous. Or a parent says, you're not going to eat for a week, so you really get hungry, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So God is our source. He's He's everything that we need. And uh, this is something that I've used of Bill Johnson's a lot, but he talks uh, about... In, in the spirit realm, mm-hmm. the less you mm-hmm. eat, the, 
the less, well, in the natural, the less that you eat, the hungrier you become. But in the spirit realm, the more that you eat, the more that you feast on the things of God, the hungrier you become. Mm -hmm. So in the spirit realm, if you pull back, if you do not taste and see that the Lord is good, you're going to actually desire it less. Mm -hmm. So in the spirit realm, when we hunger and thirst for those things, when we partake of it, the when you taste of his goodness, you're going to want more of it and you're going to pursue after it. Yeah. Because if you pull back from real life, mm -hmm. real abundance, mm -hmm. <laughs> real health, then what you do is you get all these substitutes in your life. That's where addictions come from. That's mm -hmm. where, you know, the egocentric living comes from. All those things come because I'm trying to fill that void and then I'm always pursuing something, but yet never attaining. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but in him is all that I need. Mm -hmm. And so I don't need an addiction any longer because I'm filled with him. Actually, he's the one that delivered me from addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, an encounter with him, an encounter with his love. And uh, and you know what? He was not moved by melody. He was not moved by my mess. He was not moved by my addictions. He was not moved by any of those things. He was just waiting for me to open the door enough <laughs> where I invited him to come in and in a moment, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, there really is a God and he is aware of me. He sees me. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, the creator mm -hmm. of heaven and earth actually sees me. I didn't use those words then, mm -hmm. but he actually sees me. And I mean, he is omnipresent. He sees us all, all the time. Mm -hmm. He is all powerful. There isn't anything that we can't overcome. If we just think about who he is, uh, I think it would really dismantle a lot of these lies where maybe religion has taken an experience. Mm -hmm. Instead of us creating our theology from our experience, mm -hmm. we're going to Jesus. And, you know, we're going to how he functioned for us to see theology through that perfect perspective. Now, this is a verse that um, only gets quoted partially, but it's Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then people just end. <laughs> but then it continues and says, because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists. And here's the thing, mm -hmm. that he rewards yeah. those who earnestly seek him. Amen. Yeah. So believing in God's nature as a rewarder is a mandated expression of our faith. It's yeah. actually a condition of our faith. If you say that you have faith, that you believe that God exists, mm -hmm. you also have to believe that he rewards those who yeah. seek after him. Yeah. yeah. The first the first thing that God said to Adam and Eve after they sinned was, where are you? And I just was thinking, you know, I love that because God was always there. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that were hiding. Yes. God's nature is always giving and forgiving. Um, and so when we pull back, when we are trying to cover up and then he says, you know, who told you you were naked? And then they say, well, or they say, well, we were naked and we were ashamed. So we hid or we were afraid. So we hid. Mm -hmm. um, so when we pull back from him, we experience all of the, the, the elements of a fallen world. But he was always there. He never hid himself. That's right. He never hid himself from our nakedness. He never hid himself from our shortcomings, from mm -hmm. our sin. 
Yeah. He was always there. That speaks to his nature that he is an ever present help in time of need. He is always giving. He is always generous. It's not just something that he does. It's something that he is. Uh, he is a giving, abundant life, eternal life, abundant nature God all the time. Yeah. It reminds me of a, a joke I heard years ago. It was a, a joke? Yeah. Can you believe it? From you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it must have been pretty memorable. <laughs> yeah. It, it was pretty good. But there was we'll, a... We'll, a, we'll a, judge, judge. Yeah. It was a It was a couple who was married and it was back in those days when they didn't have bucket seats. You know, it was just all one front uh-huh. seat. And his wife turns and she's they're driving down the road and he goes, she says... You never sit close to me like you did years ago when we were first married. And he looks at her and he goes, you're the one who moved. You know, he's still sitting in the driver's seat, but she was the one who moved. (laughs) And so it's kind of like that. God doesn't change, but we're the ones who move. Yeah. That was the joke. That was the joke. Yeah. Didn't you think that was funny? I'm going to have to find some sound clip. It was more like an analogy than a joke. (laughs) It made the point. It didn't exactly, you know, tickle the funny bone, but it made the point. I'm going to have to add like uh, some sound effects with laughing when you... uh... A laugh track. Yeah. Yeah, you ought to do that. That would make it interesting, wouldn't it? (laughs) Interesting is a good word. I'm not... I'm, I'm sorry. I, I might not ever be this jokester. I don't know. If you would have just said, I heard this story, then it would have oh, been perfect. Oh, okay. I could have done that. Okay. <laughs> Actually, when I preach and I'm funny, people think I'm a funny person, but that's only when there's anointing there because I'm not naturally <laughs> funny. So if I do something that's funny, I go, God, that was you. I was anointed right there because it's not melody. I, I'm not okay. good at being funny. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. <laughs> So let's get back. Yeah, we were, you want to bring us back on track? Yeah. So we were talking about how the church or religious thinking put so much emphasis on learning from lack, learning from pain, learning from the, the problem itself. But my thinking with that is when you learn from the problem itself, your thinking becomes cynical. Yeah. Yeah. You begin to see the problem in everything mm-hmm. because the lesson was in the problem, right? Mm. The lesson was in the pain. If you learn from lack, you'll begin to see lack in every situation. So if if you're not in lack, then God doesn't have an opportunity to teach you something. So you got to find <laughs> ways to get yourself in lack. If if pain is what shapes you, shapes your thinking, you will see pain in every opportunity. So then if that is your mindset, would you be anticipating Exactly. The pain, anticipating something to go wrong, just waiting for the hammer to fall as it will. You know, it's like, so you're going through life, you just know something bad's going to happen because that not only is your experiential reality, but that's how I'm going to grow in God. Yeah, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, if if you learn from rejection or you've experienced rejection, anytime a potential relationship comes up, you're going to expect that mm-hmm. it's already going to end in failure mm-hmm. because the lesson was in the actual rejection. But I believe mm-hmm. when you learn from God's abundance in the midst of the problem, mm-hmm. see, like I said, I'm not saying that uh, the gospel is all your problems go away. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying that when you learn from God's abundant nature in the midst of the problem, mm-hmm. that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. When you learn from his abundance in the midst of the problem, you become hopeful. Mm -hmm. 
Now, do you see the difference? Yeah. We're all we're all going to have problems. We're going to all experience lack. We're going to all have some level of suffering. But if we learn from the problem itself, hey, listen, when you learn from pain, when you learn from the problem, when you learn from the pain, what lesson does that actually teach you? <laughs> I would say when you learn from pain, one of the lessons is I cannot trust people. <laughs> yeah. Because people produce pain. Mm. Yeah. Because that's the lesson that I've learned. I've learned from the rejection. Mm -hmm. But when we allow God's presence of his abundant nature, no matter what we face, wouldn't it be better to learn from his redemptive power? Yeah. His forgiveness. And so when you learn from his abundant nature in the midst of the problem, the result is you begin to see his promise in everything. Mm -hmm. You cling to hope in the midst of difficulty. You begin to see a solution in every situation because God is the solution for every situation. So you begin to see his working in every situation. But if our attention is on the problem and the suffering and the lack, like I said, I'm not saying that those things disappear. I'm saying in the midst of those, we have a never-ending well of resource in Christ. That's why Paul could say, I can do all these things. What were those things? I know how to experience lack. I know how to be full. Mm -hmm. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Yeah. But so, he's unmovable in the good and the bad because his focus Yeah. Yeah, and in the verse earlier, it says, whatever, I've learned to be content. Content means freedom from worry, anxiety, and restlessness. Very it good. means to have a peaceful satisfaction. So I have learned to be content in whatever situation. And we know how he did that. I can do all things through Christ's sufficiency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when we're faced with different or difficult situations, what aspect of the the situation are we learning from? Are we learning from the pain, the suffering, the disappointment? Yeah. Or are we learning from what God can do in the midst of any situation? Yeah. I think a lot of this happens really quietly, really subconsciously, kind of well, in the Paul background. Well, Paul said, I've learned. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned to be content. Yeah. So it was a process. Yeah. And, you know, when we're going through these hard times, because we, we do, the Bible actually promises that you'll go through hard times yeah. um, because we're in a fallen world. Um, but, and it can be really, really easy when you're in the middle, when you're in pain, listen, when you are in pain, it is hard to get your mind beyond the pain. It kind of, do you ever like hurt your little toe? <laughs> like my mm -hmm. word, you never knew how much. How much you needed that to be healthy. Or like <laughs> tooth pain. Like if you ever have oh tooth my. pain, it affects how you think. Like it affects everything. So um, when those things are happening, it can be really, really easy to let that consume us. Because I mean, it, like I said, if you've had a little pain in a little part of your body, it can affect the way you think. Well, it's true. After I have, I have dear friends who live in chronic pain. It can be so. I mean, it's hard to watch. I can't imagine living through that. Um, but it can be really easy for that to start to change the way you think because it's what you're focused on. You become like what you look at. Yeah. And eventually that can color your beliefs about um, God, about the world, you know, about mm -hmm. um, about life. 
and so I just think, you know, as we're talking about this, I was thinking the importance of where we have our eyes, mm-hmm. of where we have our worship, really. Um, because, you know, Paul, in the midst of those things, he learned, and I don't, you know, I, I only know what mm-hmm. the Bible tells us, but, um, you know, we learn after a while that our focus, if our focus is on the, the pain, the suffering, the circumstance, we don't see reprieve, you know, we start to come into that hopeless um, thinking, but when we choose to put our eyes on, on him, that's when we can learn. um, We learn from who he is, not from what we're experiencing. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I just, just to say, you know, it, it really, really matters when we're in those moments that we have to be pretty intentional about where we're putting our eyes because it's, super hard. Like if you Mm -hmm. are in pain, if you are in a a time of lack, Mm -hmm. it can be all consuming. And so it's really just, um, you know, learning by reason of use, uh, even in, in a moment, if you turn your eyes towards him, that is a real win. That is a real victory in, um, learning like Paul did that in any circumstance, um, you can do all things through Christ because your eyes are on him. And it was something, like I said earlier, that he learned. Yes. So that he was intentional about it, that in whatever situation he was in, he practiced leaning on the sufficiency of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's why he could he could abound well and he could be abased well. Mm-hmm. He could uh, be in a situation where he suffered lack or he could be in total abundance. It didn't matter what situation he was in, but it was something that he intentionally relied on Christ. So it's not going to happen overnight, but if you are committed to it, if you are consistent with it, I believe that you will reap a harvest of being content. Mm -hmm. What is content? Freedom from worry, anxiety, and restlessness. Paul said, I have learned that in whatever state I'm in to be content. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of a time in my life quite a few years ago, and I experienced a huge betrayal and I'm I'm a very upbeat positive visionary driven individual and um and this this individual I loved so deeply and uh I was betrayed horribly betrayed and for 2 weeks I mean it crushed me for 2 weeks I'm just in such pain and every night and throughout the day, I would say, God, forgive me, because I was having all these horrible negative thoughts were totally, they were totally contrary to Melody and how I thought and how I functioned. And I kept repenting for him. Mm-hmm. So I'd run to God to repent for my negative thoughts because of my pain. And I kept running to him, which was good. But after two weeks, I was just laying in bed and I just said, God, I'm just repenting all the time and I don't know how to get rid of this because even though I'm repenting, thinking repenting is going to make it go away. And um, he just said, you're depressed. And I said, God, I don't get depressed. And he said, you're depressed. And I said, I am? And then I said, Lord, I repent for being depressed. (laughs) You know, I, I, I run to you. And in that moment, all my attention turned to him rather than the pain of the betrayal. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And long story short, he led me in to some of the most amazing truths and, and uh, revelations of who he was and and so many things that have just become a part of my leadership methodology and, and how I function in my life every day. Well, it wasn't God's will for me to be tra- betrayed in that way. It wasn't for me to suffer in that way. But when I shifted from that place of me just focusing on Melody feeling bad for Melody to the author and the finisher of my faith and running to him that it's at that moment when everything began to shift. And in the midst of that, he spoke to me. He says, Melody, if you're not close enough to be hurt, you're not close enough to make a difference. And um, that was so powerful because he got my attention off of being hurt mm-hmm. to making a difference. Yeah. And have have my feelings been hurt since then? Yeah. But in the middle of those things, it's like they don't have the same power because I learned. Mm-hmm. Am I going to protect myself from being hurt, which would continually put me in that cycle? Or am I going to lean on my God so I can make a difference in my world. So now if someone has done something, what I find myself doing is saying, Lord, I bless their hearts. I bless their hearts. Mm -hmm. They don't understand what they're doing, but I'm going to keep on keeping on making a difference. Well, what you're doing is taking on his nature. You're giving and forgiving. So when you focus on him as giving and forgiving, suddenly you begin to act out. Wow, that's nature. very profound. <laughs> so I never was thought lesson, of it that way. That's good. Was the lesson in being betrayed? No. Or was the lesson in God speaking of his forgiveness and his good nature and kind of what Katie shared? Yeah. I mean, that is just really, really good, Katie. I, yeah, it was because those things happen. Mm-hmm. Stuff happens. Yeah. In the world, we have tribulations. Not everybody is you know, always going to be our best friend or love us or remain faithful. Yeah. I have no power over the choices of someone else. Uh, I, I just, how am I going to respond in the midst of that? When I run to God, there's abundance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I stay in the pain of that, that's where I'll stay. Yeah. And then I won't trust anybody else. Then mm-hmm. I build those walls that not just keep the pain out, but keep me locked in, you yeah. know? And so it's just, I mean, now... I mean, I don't want to be hurt. You know, I don't want to be betrayed. I don't want that, but I cannot live my life in fear of that. I just have to live my life to make a difference and to obey him and uh, to allow him to do what he wants to do in my life. And I honestly, I don't live in fear of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to experience it again, <laughs> but the fact is I can't live in fear of it. Otherwise it would sabotage me. So you came out stronger because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ in you, his abundant nature in the midst of those things. That's right. That encounter that I had with him, of him speaking to me, gave me the grace to understand what was taking place so that I could partner with him to come out of that. Let's do a hypothetical. Okay. Let's say in that situation, you didn't pull from God's abundant nature. You didn't pull from... Um, you kind of shut off the voice of God. What lesson do you think you would have learned in that situation? Never to trust anybody ever again. Well, I <laughs> I remember after this happened, 
um, I kind of came into a greater level of responsibility. And I think I, I even came to you and said, how can you be trusting me the way that you're trusting me after I saw, I saw what happened to you. And I just was kind of blown away. Like, how can you turn around and trust me after such betrayal? Because I could do, I like, you know, hypothetically, I could do the same thing. And because you walked through that process and, you know, that process matured you, you were able to not let that affect future, future relationships. And look what I got. (laughs) (laughs) What? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. (laughs) But, you know, ultimately, when we see God's nature, it's not just what it does for us. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it it is ultimately to transform us to be like his nature, Mm -hmm. to be like him. Mm -hmm. So you were able to take on his nature to be giving and forgiving. Um, And ultimately when we look at him, it's because we want to become like him uh, on this earth. It's not just to get us through the hard times. It's so that we can perpetuate an advancing kingdom so that we can be those ones that are slow to anger and quick to forgive and full of compassion and, um, you know, rich in kindness. It's not, it's, it's who he is, but it's also who we were meant to be. That reminds me of the story of Joseph and, and, you know, the whole story, how he was, you know, thrown in the pit, prison palace. And there he was, and he had gone through this whole thing with his brothers. And here he is, after all these years, embracing his father, yeah, wrapping his arms around his natural father. And uh, he turns to him and he said, you, meaning his brothers, mm-hmm. you meant this for my harm. Yeah. But God mm-hmm. caused me to preserve a posterity. He meant this for good so that I could preserve a posterity. So what his brothers did ultimately positioned him It's like the devil is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Mm -hmm. If he leaves you alone, you'll just walk out your purpose. You know, you'll just grow in God, keep on growing. But the the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he tries to orchestrate things to sabotage the call of God upon our life. You know, all the things God's placed inside of us. And when he does it, guess what? When we run to God, we end up higher, better than we ever were before. And uh, just destroys his kingdom in greater measures. So the enemy is defeated no matter what. Yeah. And going back to your question, Joel, if I would have stayed in that and never would have mm. had that gracious encounter with the Lord where he spoke to me that I was depressed. Um, but praise God, I only had two weeks of that intense <laughs> yeah. depression. Can you mm. imagine yes, if someone I can spent imagine. <laughs> years of yeah. that? You know, it wouldn't be so quick to come mm. out of it because I would... I would I was so used to living, you know, with life. And, Mm -hmm. but you go back to that, then really, then the enemy really ultimately would have had his goal and his objective to sabotage everything that would take place from that point in my life forward Mm -hmm. because, because of my fear. Yeah. And I'd be really giving power to an individual Mm -hmm. as well as to the works of the enemy. But when you really know who God is, really, I, I think about that, all the healing he did in my life prior to that laid such a foundation that I was much more sensitive to hear his voice and to quickly run to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
So I feel like I want to answer the question that probably a lot of people have about this topic. If God doesn't teach us through these things, through pain, suffering, lack, and all that stuff, why do they happen? (laughs) Right? I'm sure some of you could send us an email with scripture verses that tell us why God wants to steal, kill, and destroy his beloved children. But this is why... No sarcasm detected. No sarcasm whatsoever. You know, and I think it also comes back to, you know, some people believe that God orchestrates everything, that everything that happens, it's God's desire and his will. We don't believe that. We believe that God partners with his creation to fulfill his purposes. So let me give you a couple things why these things happen if God is not using them to teach us. You know, if God is not the orchestrator of these things, why do they happen? Well, we kind of said the verse already, right? John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. So there is an enemy, right? Right. There is an enemy that his desire is to steal, to kill and destroy. And in James 4, 7, it says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, the devil, the works of the devil, the the desire of the devil, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So notice that the first part is being under authority, submit to God, right? Mm -hmm. Then the second part of the verse is when we've been under authority, we've been given authority. Mm -hmm. Because we're under authority, we have the authority to resist the devil and his plans. What are his plans? To steal, to kill, and destroy. So when we are under authority, God's authority, then we have the authority then to resist the enemy and he will flee from us. I think a real, and and we kind of alluded to it, but many times we don't resist the devil because we put the blame on God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why would we resist something that we believe God is doing it? But I want to point out something really important here in John 10, 10. It says, Jesus said, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy. So He calls him a thief. Mm -hmm. If I invited you over to my home, let's say, and gave you permission to take whatever you wanted, could I then turn around and call you a thief for taking something? No. No, because I gave you permission. But Jesus, in this instant, says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. If God has given him permission, then he cannot call him a thief. That's That's really good. And you see in 1 John 3 tells us that the son of man came to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah. Those are the works of the devil. In Luke 9, 54, 6, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, basically they went went to a town and they basically rejected Jesus. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? So this was their view. This was the yeah, view of yeah. the this was their view of the nature of God, just as Elijah did. But he turned and rebuked them mm-hmm. and said, You do not know the manner of yeah. spirit you are That's of. Good. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. Mm -hmm. And they went to another village. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, wow. So the first one is, why do these things happen if God has not ordained them and orchestrated them? There is an enemy Mm -hmm. that his desire is to steal, 
kill, and destroy. Now, I'm a person, this this goes with the next point, but I, I don't believe everything is the devil's work, mm-hmm. okay? We live in an imperfect world because of sin, both our sin and collectively, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? So things happen because it's imperfect. But in every system, but here's the thing, being in Christ, right? But in every situation, we have all sufficiency to do all things well because we are required to co-labor with him. Just like Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or I could do all things through Christ's sufficiency. So why do things happen? There's an enemy. The other thing is we are in a perfect world. And like we said before, Pain happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Suffering happens. Lack, you experience lack. But we are required as children of God to partner with God's plans to bring redemption, not only for us personally, but to the redemption of the world around us. Mm -hmm. And lastly, there's this little thing called free will, (laughs) right? Just a little thing. So I have free will and other people have free will. So people have the power to do evil things and hurtful things. Yeah. Right? And the truth also is that we make some pretty dumb mistakes ourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why do we experience these things if God hasn't orchestrated them? One, there is an enemy. Mm -hmm. We live in an imperfect world. And the other one is that there's free will. There, We make dumb choices. There, People have the free will to hurt us. Uh, I mean, could you imagine if the prodigal son concluded that the mess he made was God teaching him a lesson? <laughs> yeah. And Jesus spoke parables to teach us of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Basically, the son says, the way I want to live is not acceptable in this household. So I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. He says, Father, give me my inheritance. Basically, another way to say that is, I wish you weren't around anymore so I could have what is mine. The father gives him totally the his inheritance. He goes, he spends his money, he 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 wasted, he finds himself in a horrible situation because of famine. And he comes to realize, man, I would be better off in my father's house than where I'm at right now. So you guys know the rest. He comes back, uh the father runs to him, uh, holds a party for him. All this God is teaching him through abundance. Mm. Yeah. I, I know that we kind of got a l- little long-winded on this one, but I felt like it was important to go over those last few points because you might say, why do we have these things if if God is not orchestrating them? And so I, there could be more, but I think those are the three big ones. I think it's really good because Jesus was in all points tempted like we are, mm-hmm. right? And so what was the first big thing that he experienced in the wilderness after he was baptized? Uh, he faced the enemy and what it was the world yeah the flesh yeah. and the devil those three areas are what you just brought in Joel mm-hmm. that you know in the world mm-hmm. you know we might want prestige power you know mm-hmm. we're focusing on our flesh what we're going to accomplish and be successful in the world and then the battles with the enemy and our own choices all the things that you just shared really Jesus faced that and he said get thee behind me Satan mm-hmm. and I just wonder what would happen in our life when uh, those things come whether it's a temptation or an experience like you talked about Joel mm-hmm. if we would say get thee behind me Satan Mm-hmm. I'm running towards my father. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we would never, ever have to leave the father's house, would we? 
And that's why we began this podcast or this episode with, we need to know the true nature of God. Yeah. Because everything, how we view the world around us, how we view people, how we view ourselves, and even how we view God, it so affects how we interact with our world. Mm -hmm. And so knowing his nature of being a good, abundant father, being a good, his good, abundant nature, like in James, it says, do not be deceived. Right. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Yeah. Just to add on to that, I was thinking, you know, in the garden, from the very beginning, from day one, God gave us dominion over the enemy. He said, I have dominion over the birds of the air, fish of the air, everything that creeps on the earth. Well, didn't the enemy show up as a serpent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have, we've had dominion over the enemy from day one. Um, and then through Jesus, we, we have that dominion over him. Um, and you know, that dominion is not just the power to resist sin. It's mm-hmm. also to resist the lies, to see God as anything other than who he is. Yeah. So that we can see him rightly as an abundant, good father, so that we can access that abundant life that he's promised for us in the midst of any circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think a lot of times we we don't access all the grace that is available to us. Mm-hmm. He has actually given us the authority and the grace um, to overcome those things, to overcome um, the, the devil, to overcome um, temptation. I love uh, in James, it says how, you know, don't anyone say that you're being tempted by God. Mm-hmm. He says, go. there's, there's no temptation for evil in God, nor does he tempt anyone. Um, And then it goes on and it says, um, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. When your eyes are taken off of him Mm -hmm. and enticed, then the desire is conceived. It gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. When our eyes are off of of an abundant giving Mm -hmm. and forgiving God, it leads us away uh, Mm -hmm. into into the ways of death. Um, And so uh, I'll just end unless you guys have something, but... Um, you know, in trials, don't run from God. Don't see him as the one who's putting those things on you, but run to him. And in 2 Timothy 3, 11, it says, what persecutions I endured and the Lord delivered me from them all. <laughs> that is who he is. Um, so I think that's probably why we, this one was a longer podcast, because I, th- I really believe that this is kind of like a, a fortified mentality, you know, yeah. a stronghold within the church or a way of thinking about who God is and and how God teaches us or how God leads us. Uh, and we believe in his good nature. Mm-hmm. We believe that he he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yeah. And this is something that we have been meditating on for years. Mm-hmm. And so if this is new to you, I would just say, Holy Spirit, give me the truth that I can just meditate on. Yeah, exactly. I'd say, you know, don't just take our word for it. Go to the source, go to him and say, just God, tell me what you're like. Tell me who you are. Tell me what you're like. And just start to uh, listen and receive that. Go to the word and find out for yourself that he is um, rich in kindness, that he is rich in mercy, that he's slow to anger, uh, that he is quick to forgive, Mm -hmm. and that he is full of steadfast and faithful love. Uh, And and as you see that, who he is in your own life, um, you know, I just believe that you're going to begin to see 
you know, you're going to have that paradigm shift. You're going to see him for who he is and, and begin to receive that grace and begin to receive that abundance, that abundant life that he has for you. Thanks for listening to Life Exchange. We'll be back next week with more conversation on topics of life and leadership. Until next time, be sure to check out our website at givinglight.org where you can learn more about our church and access loads of resources to help you grow in your walk with God and people. If you like what you heard today, we'd be grateful if you would leave a five-star review and share with your friends. Be blessed. Remember to shine your light and have a great week. Thank you.